Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to OGCI's Talking Transition podcast series. I'm Susan Kish, and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. This series looks at how the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, or OGCI, works. What does the energy transition really mean? What are the hard questions? What are the messy issues? And what are the challenges and opportunities that this transition may bring? We're going to frame the conversation around what, around why, around who we're talking to today, and around how. We really appreciate your time as listeners and are going to work to keep the conversation short and clear. So let's start with the what. OGCI launched the Kickstarter initiative in 2019 to help accelerate the emergence of large-scale, low-carbon industrial hubs around the world in order to leverage carbon capture use and storage, called CCUS and sometimes CCS, in order to mitigate emissions. These hubs capture carbon dioxide from industrial sources across a region and then use experience, shared transport, and storage infrastructure to bring costs down. Why? Well, CCUS is one of OGCI and our member companies' top priorities because it enables the energy transition in a lot of different ways. It can decarbonize industries like steel, cement, petrochemicals that currently have no scalable alternatives for decarbonization. Two, it can provide low-carbon gas power as a backup to renewables. Three, it can help kickstart the low-carbon hydrogen economy. And four, it can create the infrastructure for carbon removal, taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And study after study that model the path to net zero include the concept of capturing and storing carbon at scale. Although CCS investment tripled to U.S. dollars $3 billion last year, we're going to need magnitudes more storage and projects to align with climate goals. So who, who are we? Well, OGCI is composed of 12 companies from around the world who together account for almost 30% of global oil and gas production. At OGCI, they work together towards achieving net zero emissions. And who is our guest today? Martin Smith is the business development manager of Northern Lights Project in Norway. Martin's been with Equinor for over 15 years, managing upstream and downstream facilities, as well as country operations. So let's get to the heart of the conversation. Martin, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Susan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Delighted. So I'm going to start with the basics. And first, congratulations. I understand that the Northern Lights Project officially launched their JV last week to assume the lead on the project. So can you tell us what is the Northern Lights Project and how is it going to help accelerate decarbonization? So Northern Lights is an industrial-scale offshore CO2 storage facilities, uh, which is set up linked with a ship-based solution. So this is the first in its kind in Europe. Um, and we, we have secured final investment, so we're actually constructing it now. What's very uh, special about this is that it's also the first large-scale CCS facility that has spare capacity that is marketed on its own merit. So we are providing a solution for European industrials. And we're currently in, in, in discussions with industrials to collect CO2, basically, and to store it in Norway. Um, so in this first phase, we are currently building this facility. Uh, it's one and, a half, one and a half million tons. 
on the onshore facility side, and we are already scaling the offshore part, the pipeline and the, the permanent geological storage to 5 million tons per year. So we are um, three mother companies. We've staffed up a joint venture from Shell to Tal and Equinor. And as of last week, as you rightfully say, we, we have our own company, own company name, own building, own IT infrastructure, own email addresses. And we are dedicated independent joint venture with the sole purpose to sell these transport and storage services to European industrials. As such, we're trying to set up a new value chain and business model, if you like, that should allow both the European countries to, to reach their climate goals and uh, the individual, individual companies to reach their net zero targets, right? So uh, it's a new market and uh, we are extremely ex uh, excited about it. It will be a exciting adventure going forward. It does sound, it sounds like it's a lot of first there. And congratulations on the new email addresses. It is, as you say, one of those real sort of landmarks on the way to, to being independent from the, from the mother companies. When is this going to be in operation? When will you're going to start putting CO2 in storage? And it sounds like it's pretty deep. Yeah, so the, uh, the current construction project will be operational 2024. We have a um, uh, 100 kilometers pipeline going offshore, and then we, um, the, we, it's two and a half kilometers down under the seabed. And the sea is at that location is 300 meters deep, actually. So uh, we're not going to install a platform. It will all be a um, submarine uh, solution on the seabed. And we collect power and uh, et cetera from nearby offshore oil and gas platforms. So one of the things I was reading about for the project is this phrase open source and open standards. Can you talk about what that means in this context? Because I'm, I'm not used to hearing that kind of term for an oil and gas project. Uh, we have Norwegian government backing us up, right? And, and promoting, supporting this whole project. It's a, uh, it, there's a public-private collaboration uh, linked to it. Uh, the geological storage in Norway is combined with a ship-based uh, solution. So we basically... Uh, supporting two industrials from Norway itself. It's a waste to power facilities and a cement factory close to Oslo in the east of Norway. We have ships collecting the CO2 there and then sailing to the west coast of Norway, 600 kilometers, uh, where we offload the CO2 and then um, inject it offshore. We have spare capacity, as I said, so we will have additional ships that will collect the CO2 from anywhere in Europe. So basically from Finland to Ireland to Germany, the Netherlands, Poland, France, Belgium, anywhere. If there is an offloading jetty um, at the port facilities in Europe, with a ship, we can pick it up and then inject it in Norway. So Norway has the history with the oil and gas industry. It has the knowledge of the, the subsurface. Um, who else could build this CO2 storages, right? So um, we can construct it, we can build it, and countries that do not have the geology to store it, Belgium, France has less possibilities, um, 
they can access VIF ships. Uh, the, the NCS, it unlocks the NCS for CO2 storage is basically for Europe. And there are other countries that have oil and gas experience. They can also, and they are actually building CCS facilities as well. We're just slightly ahead on the first taking the FID. Uh, UK, the Netherlands, Denmark are all having their projects. Um, but some countries don't have uh, that easy access for pipeline solution. And this ship-based solution, therefore, provides a solution for industrials in countries um, to access the Norwegian continental shelf. And these places where you're storing the CO2, are these old, now empty um, oil wells? Or what are these facilities that are almost three kilometers from the surface, but you, as you said, two and a half kilometers under the seabed. What are these? So different models to it. Northern Lights has a dedicated uh, offshore license for, for CS2 storages. Uh, we have drilled a well and it was a first well in that license dedicated for injection uh, immediately. Um, that's pretty unique. Uh, you often see old oil or gas fields being used. Um, and um, a third option that is being developed mainly in Iceland is where you um, store CO2 directly into uh, basalts, where it solidifies with and reacts with the basalt. But again, Northern Lights has a dedicated um, field uh, in a sandstone formation with a lot of water, an aquifer cold. Um, and our whole CO2 chain is, uh, is consists of liquefied CO2. Um, yeah, that's basically what we are doing in the, in, in all the lights. When we grow and if we succeed, you know, old oil and gas fields is definitely also a possibility. Got it. And when you say liquefied CO2, that must be very compressed. Is that right? Is that how you get it to the liquid state? Well, it's both pressure and temperature. It's not that high. For instance, our ships are around 15 uh, bar, uh, temperature 30 degrees. So it's not it's not that uh, high pressure, high temperature. But you look at the LNG ships, right? It's not. Um, uh, I think we actually use old uh, LPG standard ships for for this, and then uh, adjust them for the liquefied CO2. How much does this cost? If I had to you know, price out storing 100,000 tons. How do you quote it? Is it a fixed rate for eternity? Is it a, is a solid rate for three, five years? How do you how do you price this kind of service? Well, the, the it's a new value chain. So uh, the experience that uh, that we bring, of course, is, uh, is, is previously energy transition, right? In the past, when you moved away from coal to natural gas, um, and when you had to price natural gas, it's kind of, you look a little bit at the, at the alternative options that are out there. The, for, for the CO2 pricing, the ETS is very relevant, right? Within the European context. Um, where, where companies need to pay a price for, for the CO2 emissions. So the, that's where we're looking into. Uh, if the do nothing scenario is where you need to emit and you need to pay uh, the ETS prices. And a number of countries in the EU have also said CO2 taxes in addition. Um, so uh, that gives us a, a, a benchmark for, for the pricing. And um, 
where, where there's currently a little bit a, a, a value gap, right? So in Norway, like I said, we have the public-private collaboration. And uh, part of the reason the Norwegian government is, is helping us out here is to kickstart this business. We have the climate targets. We have the uh, net zero ambitions of a lot of companies. We are convinced that without CCS, we will never reach these climate targets. Um, and we need to get going quite frankly. And as you start going, we, on our side, we'll be able to reduce the costs as we learn and as we find ways to do things faster and better. And at the same time, we see that more and more countries in the European Union are, are raising their, uh, the ETS price is raising and, and also the national costs and taxations on, on CO2 are, are increasing. So um, that's how we, uh, we are convinced there will be a a commercial business model supporting the CCS uh, going forward. So but we're not there yet, uh, Susan, to be honest. We're not there yet. It does sound like you're in a new value chain and you're defining a new industry. So it's not it's not surprising. But one of the things I wanted to ask about is um, you mentioned earlier about net zero commitments. And I'm just wondering if we talked about sort of the development, when we talked earlier about your qualification as a project of common interest and sort of the number of, of entities you were talking to in 2017 and 2019 and 2021. And I, I just wondered, what if, could you comment about how that interest has evolved over time? And does this increased emphasis on net zero commitments from countries and from companies, is it starting to be reflected in the amount of demand you have for the services you're offering at Northern Lights. Yeah, it's it's uh, funny that you asked that because it's, I think it's now just over a week ago that we um, we have um, uh, every two years you need to renew a registration as a project of common interest. So we've been involved in that. I can't be too specific about it because we have a non-disclosure agreement within the community. But uh, what what I can say is that the first registration we had in 2017, uh, we had a renew in 2019. Now we have a renew in 2021. Um, so that they basically we are growing in size in that community, and also the you know, the discussions that we have across Europe. Um, I think we, I mean, the amount of CO2 that that is available um, is. It, I think it's it's 30 million tons per year easy. We have uh, made an assessment for our ships. I think we could we could access over 300 million tons. Um, and then in the individual dialogues with companies that we actually talk to, it by 2030 we would be easily 35 million tons would not be a problem at all. So the the amount of industrials that have that faced increased costs um, from one side. Uh, have their own company strategies to go to address the climate uh, and feel the pressure from society, quite frankly, for uh, for the license to operate within the EU um, is huge. It's absolutely huge. And, and we from Northern Lights experience it because we have we are constructing and we have the spare capacity available. A number uh, of other projects that have a pre-FID, but they we also seen on those projects, they are oversubscribed and sold out very rapidly. So um, the demand seems to be very high, much higher than the current supply. Which is a good thing from the perspective of developing a new value chain, right? 
Absolutely, uh, absolutely, yes. This is not just an issue of the license to operate, but also sort of the global competitiveness for the industries you've talked about um, and ensuring that they're able to compete both to supply within Europe, but to, to play on the global stage. If you're the steel industry in Europe and you're looking to remain competitive on the global stage, but you've got pretty strict requirements around carbon emissions, how important is a facility such as yours in keeping them competitive? Part of the interest that we see and the attention that we get comes from that point that they do not have that many solutions or, or options. And they do feel the heat of the license to operate, prices increasing, taxes increasing, and and their management or the shareholders asking for a uh, lower lower emissions strategy and more sustainable production within their own companies. So uh, that's why we are convinced CCS has to be uh, has to be a part of the uh, toolbox to meet the climate uh, targets. And that's what we see also in the response from the market. Northern Lights isn't providing services to do the capture, right? You you just take the "Quote unquote pure carbon dioxide and and transport and store it." Yes, our uh, yes, we we uh, load it onto our ships. We own the ships and then we bring it to Norway. So the capture part is something for the industrials to to organize themselves. Yes, and a number of players in that field is also an evolving market. That some industrials, like the the, the beverage industries, buys CO two, right? So there is already a an existing market for CO2 in, in that perspective. Uh, so that we, we talk to a very wide spectrum of, of basically players. Some are very experienced in it, and for some it's really a, a, um, a, a mission and a, a new. So just talking about the capture, one of the other things I read that you did last week is you signed an agreement with Climeworks the Swiss company that does direct air capture um, about exploring installing a direct air capture plant in Western Norway close to the the terminus for the offshore storage. How does direct air capture interact with the model that you've got? Yeah, we, that's a collaboration we are extremely enthusiastic about. We, uh, so the direct air capture basically means that you, take the CO2 directly out of the atmosphere and that you inject it. Uh, this is a technology. Of course, trees do this all the time, right? So right. Um, direct air capture and also bio-CCS, right? Where you uh, use trees or feedstock for, for power and then store that CO2. These both are extremely important uh, technologies because they, what we call, bring negative emissions, right? You have a net sink of CO2 away from the atmosphere, um, uh, which is, uh, in our view, has, has, uh, is the future, right? Because we are talking about reducing the emissions all the time, but to reach the climate targets at the end of the day, we need to go to negative yeah. emissions and reduce it and these two technologies are the ones that will help us su- succeed in that direction um, so we're very enthusiastic about that collaboration and that's a technology that we also need to um, further develop and seek to uh, reduce costs on very cool 
So just as a closing question, it feels as if CCS, it isn't a new technology, right? The, the, some of the core parts of CCS have been around for 20, 30 years. And I think Equinor actually has been doing it for quite a long time. The technology is there, the experience is there. Uh, it's been monitored for 25 years. How you can see the CO2, how it behaves in the subsurface. Uh, people have been know, knowing about it for a long time. And uh, the, the reason why it hasn't picked up earlier maybe is, is exactly the, the relative costs of it, potentially. Um, so that's part of the reason why the Norwegian government has, is supporting this full value chain to kickstart this market uh, and maybe build a bit on, if you eye the offshore wind development, costs came down so quickly once they started working in. We're convinced that once we start working on this, costs will come down. We will find um, better ways of doing things. And um, at the same time, we also strongly believe that the price for emissions will go up. So. Um, the early days, maybe some public-private collaborations will be needed, but in the future, we strongly believe that if only private money, this should be a profitable business in the CO2 storage. Uh, and let's not forget the direct air capture and the bio CCR with negative emissions. These carbon credits uh, are being traded, and that's a developing market in its own right. So. Um, I, we strongly believe in the future for this new market. Um, and um, let's just go out there and do it and, um, and, and develop it together. Well, you're making it sound like it's the perfect storm, right? We're at a tipping point where the demand side and the supply side are coming together and the urgency helps give that little extra extra push. And it does sound like this Norwegian government played a critical role. But let's go to the question about you. Martin, you've worked all over the world. You've been in oil and gas. You studied. You're a geologist by training with a degree in business management. Why are you doing this project? What brought you to Northern Lights? There's not one one answer to that question, I think. But um, it, it one element definitely is that, uh, that I have three teenager kids and they, they challenge their father every now and then. Is it really necessary to sit in business class and fly to Africa or Latin America to talk about oil and gas? Um, then COVID came, so I was stranded back home and you think about, you know, what I'm what am I really going to do? And I think this time around, the, the whole society and the, you see everybody's talking about the climate and it's becoming more important. My company has a net zero target, so uh, I, I'm just really keen to contribute to the net zero and, and address the climate. When this opportunity came uh, came by, and uh, being a geologist, I, I strongly believe in the CCS. I think it's possible. I think it, it, it is safe. We've done it for many, many years. There's huge potential, and uh, it's we've talked about it for long enough. We, we can do it, and we would like to demonstrate we can do it. Uh, and, and that's basically how I got into uh, got into it. So I'm really keen to deliver on this and make this a big success. Well, congratulations on the project and where it is. We're going to look forward to um, to supporting it as we can. And thank you for spending time with us today, Martin. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 
I'd like to close by saying thank you to Martin again. Thank you to uh, their colleagues at the Northern Lights Project. As we looked at where the project is, its progress to date, the challenges and opportunities that that project faces. For more information around the project and around OGCI, please visit our website, oilandgasclimateinitiative.com. We have information about the Northern Lights Project and other projects in the Kickstarter program. And on our next Talking Transition, we're going to talk about the report about potential for this technology for CCS in Saudi Arabia and across the Gulf states with Tijan Inias. To follow what OGCI and OGCI Climate Investments are doing, OGCI Climate Investments is our billion-plus fund that invests to accelerate decarbonization. And they've been active in CCS since 2017, both with technologies and a portfolio of projects in the UK and North America. So please do follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at OGCI News. Thank you for listening to today's Talking Transition podcast. We would be grateful if you could rate, review, subscribe, recommend this broadcast on the platform where you're listening to us. And we will listen carefully to your feedback, your comments, your suggestions, and new hard questions for us to examine. And finally, thanks to our production team here at OGCI, to our editor for this edition, Delia Methcon, and to our producer, Jason De La Cruz. And thank you to everyone. Stay safe and good morning, good afternoon, good evening.